Good morning, good morning. How are we doing? It's beautiful morning. Beautiful, beautiful morning. I'm Ali Shapiro. This is the morning mix. And uh hope you had a great day yesterday. Hope you have a great day today. We are going to we are going to do some uh something fun today. I think it's fun. We're gonna talk a little bit about about AOC. I have fun talking about AOC. I think it's a. Fu- I think she's. Uh, she's. She should. I mean, she should be the laughing stock. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's not always how it's perceived. But that's something fun. Beyond that, we are going to actually getting in, get into a, a serious conversation. We're going to hopefully segue into it because it's all connected. But um, she, AOC, had claimed she'd made some claims. Some very passionate, passionate claims about how she was almost killed in the uh, mostly peaceful protests at the Capitol a few weeks ago, about a month ago now, a little over a month ago, and um, she, of course, accused Senators Hawley and Cruz for almost murdering her. And we're not going to get into all that. We're not going to get into all that. We're not going to play her her clip. I am, however, going to play a clip of how it was reported, how her statement was re- was reported um, by another congresswoman. Because I think this is even better. This is this is uh, another congresswoman. Let's hear what. Let's hear how how it was reported. Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC. you know uh, just how deep uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's fears were at that time? Well, at first she, you know, she saw me um, she, and we waved. I went into my office and a couple seconds later she knocked and she said, you know, could we, could we come in? And I said, of course. Um, and she began to, uh, you know, her staffer was trying to describe what had happened and Alex is is really usually like unfailingly polite um, and very personable, and she wasn't even really talking to me. She was opening up doors, and and I was like, "Can I help you? Like, what are you looking for?" And she said, "I'm looking for where I'm going to hide." And the thing that will always stay with me, the two memories that really, you know, especially as a mom, I think were just really powerful for me was when she said. You know, I, I was saying, well, don't worry. I'm a mom. I'm calm. I've got everything here we need. We could live for like a month in this office. And she said, I just hope I get to be a mom. I hope I don't die today. And the, the second thing is she was wearing um, heels. And I remember her saying to me, I was wearing flats. And I remember her saying to me, I knew I shouldn't have worn heels. How am I going to run? And we went and we found her a pair of sneakers to wear from one of my staffers so that she could run if she needed to literally run for her life. How long uh, did the fear of... Okay, okay, there you go. <laughs> I tell you, I could watch that again and again. That's a great clip, isn't it? So th- there are a number of points we're going to make from that clip. It's a funny clip. I have to. I, I, I can watch it again and again. I can't say it enough. Um, there are a number of clips, of, of points. First of all, Alex. Okay, so we say AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or as we've called her, 
occasional cortex. Um, so this is someone who, so notice how this rep, this representative of the United, of the United States Congress, um, her name is, um, her name is, uh, it says it here. I'll get a Katie Porter. I think it's Katie Porter. So she recounts. Now she was very calm. Okay. She was very calm. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Alex, she was hysterical. She was hysterical. She said, she said that she, she's not sure she's going to get to be a mom. Okay, now this is coming from someone who has made many disparaging remarks about having children, about motherhood. So you know it's an interesting thing that, uh, in you know, in, in, in when she when when it's when she's trying to show how afraid she is, that that's one of the first thoughts that come out. You know, it's like the old line: "There's no atheist in a foxhole." A motherhood is is definitely instinctive, and and the fact that she. The fact that this is this is one of the thoughts that crossed her mind, according to this rep, uh, definitely tells us something. But beyond that, let's move on. There's another point that we have to make, and that is that she was she wore heels, and she had to exchange runners or sneakers or flats, whatever it was, with her with her staffer. <laughs> Could you imagine how that was going to take, how that conversation took place? I mean, one of two things is true. Either, uh, Alex was being hysterical, in which case it's like, okay, yeah, sure, take my shoes. Or Alex is being reasonable, in which case I guess I'll die and you get to live. And in all honesty, why does this staffer have to run in heels if she is supposed to run for her life? And yet Alex gets to run in, in runners. In sneakers. Okay, but beyond all that, beyond all that, pointing out the absurdities of that clip, I want to read to you a, 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 uh, I want to read to you the Snopes question. You see, because it actually turns out that she wasn't, she wasn't there. She wasn't where she claims she was. So, she wasn't, she wasn't where she claims she was. So I found that very interesting. That I was, I wanted to see how, 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 I wanted to see how, um, Snopes reported it. And lo and behold, claim Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez exaggerated the danger she was in during January 6th, 2021 Capitol riot in that she wasn't even in the Capitol building when the rioting occurred. So you hear how they portray the claim. The claim is not that she lied about being in the Capitol building, ergo she exaggerated. No. Just like Lawrence O'Donnell approached it, can you describe how afraid Ocasio-Cortex, occasional cortex was? So too Snopes claims that the danger was exaggerated. Was Well, can you exaggerate danger? If one person feels more in danger than the other, how can you decide whether or not this was look around or look look around us? You have people in relatively the exact same state of health, and these people are panicking and these people are calm. So clearly danger is in the eyes of the beholder. Of course there are some scenarios where maybe everybody around would be would be would be would be would be, would be fearful, would be frightened, maybe. 
But nonetheless, we definitely recognize that there are scenarios, there are situations where one individual might be calm, the other person could be very frightened. So this is what they said. Now, what is their rating for this statement? Mostly false. You hear that? Mostly false. What's true? Ocasio-Cortez wasn't in the main Capitol building where the House and Senate chambers are located. So she wasn't there. Yes, it is true that the, that the complex is a very large complex. And it is true, it is true that the, that the, um, um, which one? It is true it's a very large complex and it is true that there was, there were people who intruded into the, the, the Capitol building, but she wasn't in that Capitol building. So just because she was in the complex doesn't mean that she was any more threatened than being anywhere. What's false? However, Ocasio-Cortez never claimed to be in the main Capitol building when the attack on the Capitol began. Ocasio-Cortez was, this is going to be again, this is just, just a, a, a words game. As she stated in her congressional office, which is located in a network of office buildings immediately surrounding the Capitol, an office building was one of the two buildings that were evacuated. So again, the point here is not to really get into the nitty gritty of it. It's to, it's to, it's to illustrate the coverage. It's really how it was covered. So when everyone, whenever someone says to you, oh, listen, look at Snopes. Snopes is, uh, is a fair fact checker, right? No. You want to see something I kind of came up with just as I was looking this story up? Were the Bidens booed during their speech at the Super Bowl? Well, like, surely you, you know, it's a good, it's a good question to ask because they were, Booze heard when they were, when they, when the, when the Jumbotron, uh, played their video. Ready for this? Unproven. Yeah, it's unproven. It's unproven. Because you couldn't really make out the call, the, 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 the video quality, uh, audio from the video quality. It was a very poor video quality. So you couldn't really, really know. You couldn't really know. Now, as I recall, there was an, a scenario where the president was booed. Uh, whether or not he was or not wasn't is a different question. But they immediately came out that he was booed. So, you know, it's 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 we have to realize that the information is heavily, heavily, heavily tainted. And and I'll tell you why this matters. I'll tell you why this matters. This matters because a a certain a certain um, a certain Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was attacked recently for some pretty kooky conspiracy theories. And the fact that a congresswoman, you know, a fresh freshman congresswoman is has some kooky conspiracy theories to me is mostly irrelevant. She is not um she is not a, a major player on the on the on the front line on the, on the front stage, you know, on the, on the main stage of the of the party. Although although she is a major Trump supporter, so we have to you know we have to acknowledge that she could be. But the fact is is that is that this is there are there are over two hundred Republican lawmakers and over two hundred Congress uh, 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 Democrat lawmakers. You're going to find lots of kooky stuff in each one of their portfolios, lots of baggage. So that really shouldn't bother us to to such an extent. However, it's the response that matters. 
Just like Ocasio-Cortez, she can have her claims. It's the response. It's how Lawrence O'Donnell treated her. It's how, it's the response that matters. And so, what was the response? What was the, what, what, so what was the response? I'm gonna play you a little, short little clip. I'm gonna play a short little clip. First of all, I'll, I'll tell you one thing like this. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, she was asked, so she said, she had two very good responses. First of all, she said that she faced eight opponents in her primary, ultimately winning the primary for her, for her district, and ended up, uh, securing 75% of the vote in her district for the main, for the general election. That's a pretty, pretty powerful, pretty powerful claim. As far as the, the responses, she said, you know, she might be more prone to conspiracy theories. She, she acknowledged that. She's not excusing them all. She says, you know, a lot of them she disagrees with today. She might be more prone, but her re, her rationale is because information isn't as it's reported. You know that they're, ga- that they're, tr- that they're, uh, I don't use the word gaslighting because we haven't really probably defined it. I have it prepared. One, maybe we'll get that into one day. But she, 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 we, we know, we know that they're lying to us. So you search for other information. When you believe everything from the mainstream media and you believe everything from whichever legitimate sources, so you have no reason and you don't want to, you don't question anything. So then you're, you'll obviously never, ever, ever be accused of, of believing in, 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 in a kooky conspiracy theory because you only believe what you're allowed to believe. But if you deviate from what, from what you're being told by the ministry of truth tells you you're allowed to believe, then you can automatically get into something that's called a conspiracy theory because it's not covered by the mainstream. Remember what we said about Joe Biden when Joe Biden was accused by Tara Reid and according to the rules of hashtag me too, he should have been, he should have been dragged down like everybody else. But, but do, uh, um, uh, Dan Bacay, I think his name is Dan Bacay, the, the editor of New York Times was asked, why don't you cover the story? And they said, well, I wasn't in the news. Isn't that amazing? Dan Bouquet, I think his name is Dan Bouquet. He said, it wasn't in the news. We don't have to cover something that wasn't in the news. We cover the news. Of course, they decide what's in the news. That's the fallacy. The New York Times decides what's in the news. CNN decides in the news. Washington Post decides what's in the news. When they decide that, that if you talk about the fraud of mail-in ballots, and then the owner of the Washington Post claims mail-in ballots is fraudulent. It must be a conspiracy theory, right? Must be. No, we don't talk about that. So that, that we have to, we have to, we have to keep all these points very clear. We have to keep all these these points very clear. Um, so, so this is these are the claims against. Against Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I and I want to play this clip. It's from Seth Meyers, who I think officially is a comedian. He has this late night show or late late night show, and I don't really find him too funny, if funny at all. I find him more pathetic, personally. Maybe some people find him funny. I don't think I don't know if I've ever laughed at laughed at any of his any of his comedy, but. But let's assume he's not Jewish. This happens to be Myers, you know, you might think. No, he's not, according to my 
research, but I want to play this short clip of him talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he his first eight and a half minutes of this segment, he's bashing Republicans in 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 rude, stereotypical, condescending ways. Okay, using Southern accents to demonstrate how how stupid they are, etc. Um, and so and so I want I want to just play this brief clip because there's so much here. There's so much here that we can learn from. But I have to say the most vile defense of Green I saw today came from Republicans in Fox News, which repeatedly tried to equate her with Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, including this comment from Bill Hemmer. What Josh, she's doing yeah, is might, of a whole different be, cattle of one fish. One might be weird and kooky, Josh. The other is seen as racist. Hmm, let's see. One wants Medicare for all, and the other thinks a Jewish space laser starts wildfires. Seriously, what's wrong with you? There's no equivalence, and any attempt to create one is disgusting and racist. Green has refused to apologize. Okay. Okay. Could you... Remember what we discussed, what did we discuss yesterday? What did we discussed yesterday, the idea of virtue signaling, the idea of luxury beliefs. See, here what Seth Meyers said. Seth Meyers said that one person believes in conspiracy theories, but Jew, Jewish lasers beaming down and starting forest fires, which is kooky. Okay. Uh, the other one wants Medicare for all. So now, it doesn't matter. What do we want to do? We want to start. We want to start comparing beliefs. So Ilhan Omar is completely excused of any uh, discriminatory statements, any racial racist statements that she's made, any hateful statements she's made. She is completely excused. Why? Why? Because she wants Medicare for all. So there you go. Because she is playing the game. Because she says what is what is popular. Because she virtue signals these luxury beliefs. So therefore, nothing, nothing she says should be should be considered racist. She would never be considered racist. Isn't that an amazing admission? How many, how many people have picked, have picked up on that, on that clip? Huh. Hey, uh, 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 Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in Jewish space lasers. So therefore she's the worst person in the world and has to be, and, and, and mind you, in case you aren't following the story, the Democrats in a, in a, in a very controversial move, they stripped her of her committees. In the, you know, Congress people are on committees and, and, um, and officially, the way it's been handled is that the actual party decides whether or not they strip them of the committee. Well, the Democrats decided that they were not going to accept that this time, and they were going to strip her of her innocent – again, she has innocent conspiracy theories. That is the extent of it. So this is a this is a very, very serious – this is a very serious um, – this is a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing. But as long as she, as long as she, as long as she agrees to, because, because Ilhan Omar claims what she claims that she, all she wants is, is, uh, um, all she wants is, um, of, uh, uh, Medicare for all. It's all she wants. So that's okay. Whatever she says, she's okay. 
That's the, that's the, that's the world that we're living in. That's the world that we're living in. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, that's, this isn't, this is a, this is a very serious, this is a very serious point. Now, I want to, I want to contrast. There's, there's been some similar stories here. There's some similar stories here. There's a woman. There's a woman who is uh, on the ticket for merits. She's on the ticket for so She's on the far on the far left. Um, the Labour Party faced a controversy on Tuesday after it was revealed that Ibtizam Maraana, who won the seventh slot on the party's list in Monday's primary, has made extreme statements in the past. This is coming out of the Jerusalem Post, uh, Gil Hoffman. Mar'ana is an award-winning Muslim Arab filmmaker whose films have highlighted the suffering of Israeli Arabs. She is from the nor- northern Arab village of Furedis and is married to a Jewish man. The Jerusalem Post revealed late Monday that Mar'ana left her 12th slot on the merits list in, 20, in 2009 before the election to protest the party's operation cast lead in the Gaza Strip. Khan Radio reported on Tuesday morning that she called Gaza a ghetto under cruel occupation. A ghetto under cruel occupation. On social media, Marana also criticized the Tel Aviv municipality for lighting up City Hall when the Lebanese flag, with the Lebanese flag, after an ecological disaster because the building had never been lit up in solidarity with Palestinians. Less than two months ago, Marana called the IDF the Occupation Army and accused its soldiers of murdering a Palestinian child. In another post, she called Israel ugly. Marana won 6,269 votes in the primary, seventh out of the 62 candidates, which would have been good enough for the eighth slot on the list. She was moved to the seventh ahead of former MK Nachman Shai, even though he got more votes because labor leader Meirav Michaeli decided that candidates on the list would alternate between men and women. Speaking at a meeting of Labour's top 10 candidates, Michaeli and Marana opposes violence, supports peace and coexistence, and was correct in pointing out that Israel has leadership that makes the country look bad. Well, so look at that line. They support, they oppose violence and support peace and coexistence. Can you oppose, I, 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 I oppose peace and support war and, and, and I hate coexistence. I want strife. Honestly, that's 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 what it's telling us. It's telling us these are people, these are great people because they say that they want peace and coexistence, and they oppose violence. So, what is our approach to this? To this, um, what is our approach to this lady? Where does she fall in the law? Where does she fall in on, on things? You know, do we do we do we try to remain consistent? Do we try to remain consistent? Or not? You know, what's the idea of being consistent? The idea of being consistent is that, well, if Marjorie Taylor Greene is said things that you would oppose the other side for saying, then, then whatever you would, would, would propose one side take, then you would propose your side should take too, if we're going to be consistent. So, I think that there is a, a legitimate argument to be made if we are speaking conceptually 
leaving names out. Let's leave MTG. Let's leave Marjorie Taylor Greene out of this picture. And let's say if there was somebody on the right who made who who legitimately made statements, you know, made statements of, of racism or xenophobia. Would you want? I think on a, on a, on, a, on a hypothetical conversation, we would yes, we would want that racists should not be validated in our party. That is true. That's what we'd want. Who determines what's a racist? Okay. I think that there's a legitimate conversation to be had about that. I don't think that one side gets to determine what's a racist. So I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not, uh, willing to, to immediately concede. But again, what was Marjorie Taylor Greene's, am I as a Jew? Am I as a Jew? Am I, do I believe that that was anti-Semitism? Well, one answer is that if the left calls it anti-Semitism, I might just, just, just disagree about what, what it is. They don't consider BDS to be anti-Semitic, but they do consider that to be anti-Semitic. Hmm. Is BDS anti-Semitic? Is BDS just anti-Israel, not anti-Jewish? I don't think so. Um, I think it's, you know, what's, what's considered to be a distinction without a difference. If you look at the statements of Rashida Tlaib, Look at the names of Ilhan Omar. Look at the names of all these of 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 Farrakhan. They don't use Israelis. They don't substitute Jew for Israeli in their in their in their racism in their hatred. They use the word Jew. They use the word Jew. So when this woman talks the way she does, if I I think I think I think that it's a it's a it's a major problem. I think it's a major. Now again, you know when you're when you're when you're when you're on the left, so you're, you're, you're given, you're, you're allowed to say certain things. And if you're on the right, you'd never be able to say, look, there are people on the right who are saying they don't want to join a party with Itamar Ben Gvir. I don't know exactly know all of the statements he said. He's considered to be a radical. He's considered to be a radical. Is he a radical? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not so familiar. I'm not so familiar with all the statements he said. I've, I've read a number of statements he said. I don't think that they're, I think that they're, um, what's the word? Hyperbolic. I think that he's since he know he likes to be sensational. And he likes to be sensational, and I think that appeals to a big faction of, fra- fraction of the government in Israel, of the of the of the of the people in Israel. But I don't believe I don't believe that he is um, that he has made out, you know uh, dangerous or, or, or racist claims. But on the right, he's an outcast, and that's the point here. On the right, he's an outcast. He just now is able to secure a, a, a prominent position. On, 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 in, in a party that he'll likely be able to bring his following and merge that with the other party and they'll be able to, please God, uh, secure a, a strong uh, position in the government. Although, who knows? The fact is, though, is that beyond, when you're on the right and you say things, and whatever the right left means in Israel, we've established, you know, it's not, it's not simple, it's not, it's not to be comparable compared to what the left is, right and left is in America or other countries. But when you're speaking on the, when you're on the, on the left in Israel, you're allowed to say certain things that you would never be able to say if you're on the right. Just look at this statement. And, and, and I think that's the point here. The point is that if both sides were treated equally, then I think that our turn, that our definitions and our attitudes and our approaches would be the same. But unfortunately, that's not the case. As we said, speaking at a meeting, speaking at a meeting of a labor top 10 candidates, Mikhail and Mara'ana opposes violence, supports peace and coexistence and correct and pointing out that Israel has a leadership that makes the country, they're correct and the country looks bad. So, 
you know, because they say that they oppose, that they want peace, then they must, everything else is irrelevant. Whatever else they say that the fact that they, that they want, that they, uh, that they, uh, promote other things that would endanger the Israeli citizenry, that's irrelevant. The fact, because they love peace. They promote peace and, 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 and intolerance and all the other leftist platitudes that mean nothing. And there's no greater converse, example of this than the controversial, uh, Law that Israel passed a couple years ago, two and a half years ago now, the what's called the nation state law. And I'm not proposed. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I'm an expert on this law, but I'm going to play you a clip, a little, little context. I'm going to play a little clip. You know what? First, I'm going to read to you from Vox. Okay, we'll read to you from Vox. Here, a little background: what this law is. Um, okay, so Israel passed a controversial new nation-state law last week that's sparking both celebration and fierce debate over the very nature of Israel itself. The law does three big things. One, it states that the right to exercise national self-determination in Israel is unique to the Jewish people. Two, it establishes Hebrew as Israel's official language and downgrades Arabic a language widely spoken by Is- Arab Israelis to a special status, special status. Three, it establishes Jewish settlement as a national value. Jewish settlement as a national value. And mandates that the state will labor to encourage and promote its establishment and development. Okay? So, that is... One of the one of the claims against it, I'm gonna play, read to this. What this says: Palestinians, liberal American Jews, and many Israelis on the left also denounced. So it's okay, liberal American Jews, which is seventy percent, Palestinians, and many Israelis on the left also denounced the law as racist and undemocratic. Yohanan Plesner, the head of the nonpartisan, well, there you go. It's in the title. Surely it must not be partisan because it's, it's, it says, it's, they said that they're nonpartisan. You're gonna learn, I, I learned a new word while reading this. I didn't know the word I'm about to read. Okay, so the, the head of the nonpartisan Jerusalem based Dem, Israel Democracy Institute, <laughs> well, it must be democratic because it says it in the name, called the new law jingoistic. Do you know the word jingoistic? Have you ever heard the word jingoistic? I did not know the word jingoistic. I actually have to look it up. According to this that I found, it says it's characterized by extreme patriotism, especially in the form of aggressive and warlike foreign policy. Jingoistic. So, there you go. My ignorance is for all of you to see. Jingoistic and divisive and an unnecessary embarrassment to Israel. But at the core of the new law is a deep, existential debate that Israelis have grappled with almost since the country's founding. Can Israel be both a Jewish state that protects, celebrates Jewish identity and a, and a liberal democracy that protects the rights of all minorities, including non-Jews? So that's, I'm just, again, I'm not reading, giving you opinion there. I'm just reading to you what the state, what the Vox, how Vox reported it. Okay. Now, here is a different comment. This is from the famed Harvard law professor, constitutional scholar, Alan Dershowitz. So let's hear what Alan Dershowitz has to say. This is from a couple years ago, 
Because I want to ask what your opinion is on the nation-state bill that last week became Israel's 14th basic law. When you say that you've been defending Israel for so many years, is Israel more difficult to defend since last week? Yes, I think it was not a necessary law to pass. Look, everybody knows Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. If you want to pass a law, a basic law, you just pass a law incorporating the brilliant Declaration of Independence of Israel, which talks about equal rights for all. I don't think it was a need to have basic law declaring what everybody knows. It only gives ammunition to the opposition. And people who think this will help in Israeli diaspora relations are wrong. If you want to help Israeli diaspora relations, there's one simple solution. Abolish the chief rabbinate. Get the rabbis out of politics. Get the rabbis out of marriage. Get the rabbis out of the law. Get them out of deciding who is a Jew and who is a, uh, who is a rabbi and who is a kosher rabbi. Let them stop attacking conservative reform and even modern orthodox rabbis. Let there be equal prayer sections at the Kotel. That's the way you cement relationships with the diaspora, not by having a law which is unnecessarily provocative. Look, I don't think anybody doubts that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. Uh, of course, the, the, the criticism of it is hypocritical, coming from the Palestinians. They've declared Palestine to be a, an Islamic state governed by Sharia law where no Jew can bribe property or be a citizen. I mean, that's a really racist or Almost all the other Arab countries are officially Muslim states, but to suddenly single out Israel for criticism is wrong. But okay, okay, so there you go. That was Alan Dershowitz, who is a prominent pro-Israel advocate on the world stage, and um, so he made a number of points. Okay, he made a point that. First of all, that Israel has a brilliant Declaration of Independence, which talks about equal rights for all. So that's the first point. Um, he says, you know, that, that now, okay. Um, he says this law is unnecessarily provocative. The opposition, however, is hypocritical. We're going to get into these things. Uh, he asks, does anyone doubt that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people? Of course, why you know, if everybody recognizes that, so why do you need to pass a law to state that? That's why he calls it unnecessarily provocative. Um, he makes a comment. I want to look. I, I wish we could get some uh, live live call in here. Zero two five seven nine eight two five 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 seven nine talk. He makes this claim: get the rabbis out of politics, marriage, law. Who is a rabbi or kosher rabbi? Let them start attacking, stop attacking conservative, reform, or even modern orthodox. Let there be equal prayer sections of the Kotel. That's how you cement relations with the diaspora. The diaspora presumably are the diaspora Jews. So because, as we said, diaspora Jews are 70%, so if you want, so if you get egalitarianize Israel, then you will find favor with the with the Jews. Um, I think that this is consistent in their logic. I don't think it's necessarily consistent uh, historically. I saw a, a, a an article. I didn't, I'm not going to read the article. I don't even have it with me. But I saw an article that uh, from Dubai's, since Dubai has opened, 
So a lot of Jews have, I don't know, moved out to Dubai, but you know, the, I think the article was suggesting that there's going to now be a lot of intermarriage because of these these new uh, these new relations that have been created. Um, I think that that's a legitimate concern in the sense that, in the sense that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is true. It is true. The more that we are recognized, the more we assimilate. The more comfortable we are with our neighbors, the more we assimilate. This is true, unfortunately. Um, but, but I don't necessarily think that that's our problem. You know, these are, these are, this is a controversial idea. What I mean is, is that, is that I don't, I don't necessarily think that, that every single thing, I don't think that everything we do has to be focused on, on minimizing our, uh, um, you know, the, minimizing the result of assimilation, minimizing assimilation. So if, for example, the argument that we have to mandate who is a Jew is just to to minimize assimilation, uh, I don't necessarily think that's a that's a responsibility of ours. You know, there there uh, client of mine, important client of mine. He asked me. He had a colleague coming in, and he's arriving on Shabbos in Israel, and he wanted me to send um, one of my uh, uh, drivers that's, uh, that are Arab. I use in these specific scenarios, if not not in that scenario, but I have, in, in a scenario where I need an Arab driver, I have a, a couple of drivers that I call, and um, and so he wanted to use him. He wanted to use him. I'm like, well, let's send him. And I said to him, I said, no. See, we don't take response. We don't we don't get involved in this scenario. He couldn't believe it. I was telling him. First of all, he's never heard the word no from me. And second of all, he didn't understand what I was even suggesting. What do you mean we don't get involved? I said to him, I said, look, you have a colleague, you have a good friend who wants to come and visit you. He does what he does. You don't get involved. You don't, you don't, you don't have to, you don't, not only have to, you don't attempt to minimize his Chilul Shabbos, his Avera, his desecration of, of Shabbos. You don't, it's not your responsibility to minimize that for him. It's not your responsibility. If he wants to come to you, he'll come to you. That's it. Otherwise, he doesn't come to you, but you don't get involved. He couldn't believe what I was telling him. He went to his Rav. And his Rav said, listen to your driver. So this idea that we have to try to minimize the, whatever the, um, you know, whatever, you know, assimilation or, or um, what have you, I, I don't think that that's necessarily our responsibility. I don't even think that, I don't, I don't think we should water down our Torah and Halacha in order to make it more palatable for the masses. I'm not deciding yes or no about that. I'm just simply saying that I don't. I don't think that it is. I don't. I, I definitely. I, I definitely am. 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 Nice. I'm definitely leaning. I would definitely lean that it. That it's not our responsibility. Um, and that is a very pl- 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 applicable position to to what's going on right now. To be honest, without getting onto it onto a tangent, because I want I want to really address these things here. But you know, you think about. The schools, the Jewish schools, Jewish school is not babysitting. We, as from families, do not send our children to school just so that we can have a break from them throughout the day. That is what, how school is, is, uh, appears to be from the, 
what it's considered from the secular masses. That's all school is. That's why they don't really care how their children are being indoctrinated because to them, they're just sending their kids for babysitting. So when we have our precious children not in school because the government, which has fundamentally different values and interests, when they have... We, when, when they are telling us, no, you can't send our, your children to school, and what, what was agreed to by the powers that be for a few days, and it's turned into over a month, if they believe them, then, then, if they believe them, then I have what to say. If they didn't believe them, they were playing along, so I feel, I feel a little bit better. But the point is, is we have a fundamentally different outlook on what school is. So how can you decide? How can you decide that I need that we should that we should that we should end that, that school should be one of the first things that are 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 stopped? Maybe there should be other things. Maybe the the stores should be stopped first. I mean, again, I'm not deciding what is, but the idea that that we are that we are playing by rules of people who have fundamentally different values. That's 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 the we have to remember here. There are fundamentally different values. So I'm I'm you know I, I think I could be compelled. I think I could be compelled that we should get rabbis out of politics. Definitely. I could be compelled to, to, to side with that agreement. I wouldn't necessarily do it because, because, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'd want to make sure that whatever our interests are, are going to be addressed. But I, I, my point is, I, I don't think that it's a, I don't think that it's a, um, I don't think it's a, it, that, 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 that conversation is, is off limits, is off the table. But we have to remember still, Alan Dershowitz is coming from, this is an unnecessarily provocative, and, and, and therefore, and the, and the way you can cement, uh, relationships with the diaspora is by egalitarian, egalitarianizing Judaism. We just have to remember that. It's still, uh, uh, you know, that's, 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 that, that is not an, a, a valid, that is not a valid approach. It's not a value, you know. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't believe that about Judaism. We don't, we don't, we don't, we, and we recognize that modern that m- m- embracing modernity, embracing modernity is not going to preserve Yiddishkeit. Embracing modernity is not going to. Yeah, we're not going to get any better results because we have shut down the schools. Nothing better is happening. On the contrary, and so I, I, I would make a, I, could, I, I could definitely be persuaded that get. The rabbinate out of politics, get the orthodox out of politics. You know, there's the, you have to know how, 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 how that could happen and whether or not we would still be able to preserve our interests in the state if we did that. But I think here's another point here that we're gonna, that we, I want to address. And that is, this is opposition is hypocritical. And that's, and that's how this ties into our initial conversation. Okay. He said that the Palestinians were declared an Islamic state governed by Sharia law where no Jew can buy property or a citizen, right? He said that. Okay. Um, and almost all the other countries are Muslim states. Well, this is all true. This is all true. I want to read to you a part. I found this, the Palestinian constitution from 2003. I found this. It's, 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 it's all a bunch of baloney. Okay. That's the first thing. But beyond that, Jerusalem is the capital of Palestine. Article 3. Article 4. Section 1. Islam is the official religion in Palestine. Respect for the sanctity of all other divine religions shall be maintained. Right. Okay. 
This is what they write. Is this true? Official religion. Two, the principles of Islamic Sharia shall be a principal source of legislation. Status of religious law. Three, Arabic shall be the official language. Title two, Palestinians shall be equal before the law and the judiciary without distinction based upon race, sex, color, religion, political views, or disability. Article 10, Section 1. Basic human rights and liberties shall be protected and respected. The Palestinian 2, the pa- Section 2. The Palestinian National Authority shall work without delay to become a party to regional and international declarations and covenants that protect human rights. This is all, this is, this, this is serious, right? Personal freedom is a natural right, shall be guaranteed and may not be violated. Article 18. Freedom of belief, worship, and performance of religious functions are guaranteed, provided public order or public morales are not violated. And this on the left, freedom of expression, Article 19, freedom of opinion may not be prejudiced. Every person, every person shall have the right to express his opinion and to circulate it orally, in writing, or in any form of expression or art, with due consideration to the provisions of the law. Article 20, freedom of resistance. Freedom of residence and movement shall be guaranteed within the limits of the law. Article 21. The economic system in Palestine shall be based on the principles of a free market economy. Executive branch may establish public companies. Okay, and this goes on. Right to a competitive marketplace. So very long constitution here. Judaism being a religion. One, the service and worship of God or the supernatural. Two, commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance is not an independent nationality. This is what their response was. I would, I'm getting it here. This is, this is, for some reason, it's in the wrong spot. So this was their response. This was the, the Palestinian response. Judaism being a religion. One, the service or worship of God or the supernatural. Or two, commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance is not an independent nationality. Nor do Jews constitute a single nation with an identity of its own. They are citizens of the states to which they belong. So that was their argument against a nation state. Okay, that was just an interesting, I don't know why it got put in here, so I apologize for it. But, okay, so now I found, this is the Palestinian National Authority drafted, but did not pass a piece of legislation in 1995 outlining the citizenship law. Article 7 of this legislation defines a Palestinian as anyone who, one, was a holder of Palestinian citizenship before May 15th, 1948. Two, was born to a Palestinian father. Three was born in Palestine to a Palestinian mother, even if the citizenship is, of the father is not is not known. Four was born in Palestine to unknown parents, and they say it states that Jews are not allowed to hold citizenship. So the hypocrisy here, the idea that one side one side is held to a standard that the other side isn't. Oh, but look at the constitution. Look at how. Liberal it is, right? Exactly, exactly. Go, go live there, and you'll see exactly what, what how liberal it is. <laughs> go live there. She says all the nice things. She wants Medicare for all, and this one believes in Jewish space lasers, right? So, so long as that is how we're going to be judged, so long as as we're not being genuine and authentic, then no, I don't think that the conversation exists. Where we have to, where we have to play the same game, where we have to play play by their rules. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that that is a uh, that is a fallacy. I think that's a fallacy. I want to finish off. I'm going to read a little bit more of this Vox article. There's a couple more parts here. It's a long article. You know, they, these these major publications they love to write long articles.
we said yesterday's the that article of Time Magazine was 24 pages and there was lots more to read. But you got the gist. During Israel's war for independence, which Palestinians called the Nakba, or a catastrophe, 700,000 Palestinians were expelled or fled their homes. Today, their descendants remain refugees, and many still live in urban, slum-like refugee camps across the Middle East. Palestinians who remained in, in Israel in 1940 were offered citizenship and now make up 21% of the population. So here's one question we're going to ask. So why, what happened to those 700,000 Palestinians? Why are they called refugees versus the ones that remained in Israel are citizens? Today, I'm just going to read one part, one, one, just so you can get exactly the feel of this of the article. The Gaza Strip under the rule of Hamas. Because it goes into the uh, the numbers of the Palestinians. The Gaza Strip under the rule of Hamas. Um, which the U.S. and several other Western countries have designated a terrorist organization. Why do they have to qualify it? At the U.S. and several other Western countries. Why can't they just say, which operates as a terror, which is a terrorist organization? I know it's, I know, I know that they have to qualify it, but meaning because they're left, but, but they're, but does that, does that not illustrate exactly their position? Whatever, whatever objective definition you'd, you'd attribute to any terrorist organization, would Hamas not be considered to be a terrorist organization? Oh no, it's only several Western countries. You're right. The Muslim countries don't call Hamas a terrorist organization. That's true. Those populations of Palestinians are technically stateless. What does technically mean? What does technically mean they're stateless? Meaning they can't join the other 23 countries, Arab countries around, or their state doesn't officially exist. I mean, they have a home. They get to live somewhere. They have their own leadership. What exactly means stateless? This means that, for instance, Palestinians in East Jerusalem can't vote in Israeli national elections or obtain Israeli passports, among other restrictions. For Palestinians in the West Bank, it means the major parts of their lives are controlled by Israel, a country they have no direct voice in. Well, again, why did they flee back in 1948? Why did they flee? So PragerU did a video. And in this video, they actually address this question, this very question. Over 850,000 Jews were expelled or fled from the Middle East and North African countries following the Arab countries' attack on Israel when it gained its independence in 1948. The most important reason is that they didn't remain refugees for long. So, so why don't we call them refugees? refugees? They didn't remain refugees for long. But refugees, they mostly certainly were. The vast majority were forced to leave their homes, possessions, and businesses behind. In other words, they came to Israel with nothing. 650,000 of those went to Israel, and they make up for approximately half of the current population. 200,000 went to other countries. Now contrast these forgotten Jewish refugees with the most celebrated refugees in the world, the Palestinians. How is it that the Jewish refugees are not even an afterthought? But the Palestinians are the longest-lasting, most lavishly supported refugee population in the history of the world. Says this individual, the answer is purely political. After Israel gained its independence in May of 1948, the surrounding Arab nations attacked the new, the new Jewish state. As a result, about 700,000 Arabs, Arabs living in Israel fled. Many left because of the war. And many did 
because they were told by Arab leaders to leave the Jewish areas. The idea was that they would return once the Jews and their state had been destroyed. In 1949, the United Nations formed UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for the Palestinian Refugees. The largest and only long-term UN agency that has that was ever formed to deal with just one group of refugees. 70 years later, it still exists. And it still calls the Palestinians and their children and their grandchildren refugees. It has an annual budget of over a billion dollars funded mostly by the U.S. and the, Euro- and the European Union. And it, it goes on, the, 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 the video goes on to explain how, in fact, the Arab leaders came out publicly and said that this is what... This is what they were do- that they that they actually told the Palestinians to leave until they would until after the war. So, you know, there are a lot of there's a lot obviously that we're not addressing, but the idea that this this issue is exactly how it how it's been being portrayed that you have one side that is declaring this nation state, which for the most part has no practical meaning. It was as 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 Alan said. It was unnecessarily provocative. Everybody knows that Israel is the nation state. There was there's no practical meaning of what happened, but that that um, law. And there's another. There's a lot of different things we could read. You know, as far as what could be, you know, what what could be the proper approach to that, and 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 whether or not Israel can, in fact, attempt to also be the state of Israel for the Jewish people as it, as it wants to claim it is. If we, you know, and 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 also uh, be a, a democratic Western democratic country that's fair to all people. You know, there are solutions to that issue, but that's not that's not the point. The point is, is that one side, one side is targeting. Israel, as though for really just something which may not necessarily ha- have had to been done, but does not have any any practical meaning. There's no difference, and yet the other side is continuously calling its people Palestinian refugees, despite being uh, the most the most lavishly rewarded group no, a refugee status group known to man and um, once we realize again once we realize that that we that that the other side isn't playing by any any set of its any any set of rules so then maybe we won't be so quick maybe we won't be so quick to to play by their by their, by their games that's been our show today. I am your host, Ellie Shapiro. We hope you have a great day. And please, God, we'll be with you again tomorrow. This is the morning mix. Bye for now.